big rocks and all that sort of thing. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Do's it. Hello and welcome to the Mick Wall Podcast featuring the one and only, the only one, the great interrupter john hotter thank you very much that's the sort of billing i should have exactly big Exa- build up no <laughs> definitely a big build up that's for sure now um we were planning already to do make these next couple of episodes sort of dead rock stars specials and um and then two days ago monday was it i yeah. think i first heard you heard the night before um a dear friend of ours actually died, who was a rock star in his own way. That was Malcolm Doan. Indeed, Doc Doom Doc himself. Doom. Or I think it was maybe just before your era. There was a time when he used to call himself the Pear Drop Man. The Pear Drop Were you around for that? <laughs> yeah, I'd know. He very occasionally would refer to himself as that. Yeah. That, <clears throat> that came about, we will do a proper start in a minute, but that came about because... When I first started working for the magazine, which which was right at the beginning of '84, um, I had this habit because I was only 25 at the time, which was still old to be doing it. But I used to call myself the kid, you know, the kid <laughs> the walked kid. in the room, the kid, the oldest kid in town, yeah, well, has was, arrived. Well, actually, I was about the youngest person in that room at the time, <laughs> so I was like the kid. And uh, and he got Until terribly. Until I came along, the real kid. The real kid, the the kiddie. Um <laughs> and he sort of became quite enamoured with it, and um, it was the start of all the writers on Kerrang sort of becoming more personality based. Like you Zavid. started that, little bit, yeah. Mm, okay. um, not solely down to me, but you know, like Steve Jewell became Crusher. Crusher. Xavier became the Baron. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, uh, or was that Dante? Was Dante the Baron? No, Xavier was the Baron of Bollocks, wasn't he? Oh, was he? Yeah. Ooh, okay. Um, and Malcolm, completely arbitrarily, probably doing a feature on Rat, because I think he did a feature on Rat, Rat every, every other week. Every week. <laughs> and he started referring to himself as the Pear Drop Man. <laughs> and we're going, what the f- Malcolm, what the fuck is the Pear Drop? I mean, the kid. Okay, it's silly, yeah. but you get it. You know, the Baron. Yeah. 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 The pear drop man walked in the room and Robin Crosby said, hello, pear drop man. He was like, what the fuck? Yeah. Where did that come from? Well, uh, it sounds like a kind of serial killer thing. <laughs> the pear drop man. Like new on Netflix. Mm. Jesus, have you seen the pear drop man? It's yeah. terrifying. Yeah, he leaves his victims Le- yeah, with pear, pear drops pear. in the eyes. Oh, she, gee, the eyes yeah, it's pretty frightening. Yeah, I think I've got a fly hanging off my hat. Um so, uh, Malcolm Dome, Doc Doom. Doc Doom, Mad Malk. Mad Malk. Many uh, sobriquets he's had down the years. Yeah, yeah. Because and he was an ever-present. That's, you know, it's really worth saying. He was completely and an ever-present. It, and it came across reading the very many nice tributes that people mm. have written. 
over the last few days that uh, Malcolm was there from the very start of Kerrang! And mm. before that, <laughs> and I'd forgotten this, although I did know, was on Record Mirror, which well, is one of the great sort of anomalies, if you remember what Record Mirror was like at that point. And in our building, there used to be Sounds, Kerrang! and Record Mirror. Well, here, here is believe my... Believe me, Record Mirror was the odd one out. <laughs> here is my origin story of Malcolm for you. In 1979, is it 79? Yeah, 79, I'd uh, left Sounds magazine. In disgrace, probably. To, um, to uh, start up a band. N- no. To, I took a job at a PR <laughs> to become company. The kid. No, this is before the kid. He was even younger than this the was, kid. This was, this was the embryo. You were, you were just the child. Uh, child of evil. <laughs> um, heavy publicity. I got a job there. See, heavy publicity, I always thought, came later. No, no, no. Heavy publicity existed from the mid-70s. It Did was it? Uh, Richard Ogden's company originally. Richard Went on then, to do those crime books, obviously. Do Pointless and all the rest of it. Richard Ogden? Yeah. Is that his name? No, okay. silly bastard. No, he went on to manage Paul McCartney actually, till till <laughs> he got better. sacked. I got so a great got ro- even more money. I got a great Richard Ogden Richard story for you. Oh yeah, not Osman Ogden. Oh, is it finally clicked? The kid, the kid has finally got what I'm on about. Jesus, I don't Christ. watch pointless. Oh, just get on with it. Right. Come on. So um, there were f- obviously no mobile phones, no social media. I Channel Four hadn't even launched, so we had three. Three TV stations in this country, one national music radio station, yeah. upon which there was no Led Zeppelin there or was Black Sabbath. There was the Friday Rock Show. Well, do you know what? I th- there was, because that was on when I was at school, and I was at school then. Yeah, but you, you didn't go to school till the 90s, yeah. did you? <laughs> I'm the kid. <laughs> <laughs> I just had a very long school career. You might be right about the Friday Rock Show, but... I, no, I, no, let I me finish. Right the the, in the mid seventies, there wasn't. There was just fluff on a Saturday afternoon. Right. And Tommy, believe it or not, helmed Tommy Vance, who did the Friday Rock Show, helmed a reggae show on Radio London, and then he went to work for Capital Radio. And it's all kind of you know, and eventually, fluff. Alan Freeman got poached by Capital Radio to go over there, where he did the Rock Show, and um, at that point, Radio One got Tommy to do what then became the Friday Rock Show because Alan was always a Saturday Rock Show as it used to go. Anyway, Saturday yeah, afternoons belonged just, to Alan. So um, no, 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 no. Get no. on with it. I'm trying. It? Uh, so the only way album-oriented groups, uh, particularly rock groups, could get any exposure at all was through the music papers. But because of punk in particularly 77, 76, 77, 78, uh, rock and metal was considered, I mean, just the worst kind of rubbish, not even worthy of consideration. So the NME, who were the leading uh, sellers in the Music Weeklies, wouldn't touch it. I remember we did Ted Nugent, and they, they sent Paul Morley to interview him. And, and his first question was, what would you do if I was to cut your hair? And Ted Nugent said, you would die, and the first four <laughs> members of your family would die with you. That's a good answer. It is a good answer. It's yeah. very funny. Um, but they just fucking hate it. They might put Phil Liner of Thin Lizzy on the cover, but even that kind of went south really quick. So they just wouldn't do it. She didn't even bother asking them. Then there came Melody Maker, the second biggest seller. They would do a rock band if it was Queen, 
if it was Zeppelin, if it was sort of royalty, rock royalty. Um, but they wouldn't do, like, we were doing, you know, wild horses. Praying mantis. Yeah, we yeah, weren't doing yeah. praying mantis, but that sort of thing. <laughs> we were doing Hawkwind. Yeah. And, uh, and girls' school and all sorts of people, and they weren't interested. So then there was Sounds. They were the third biggest seller. And they, of course, did do rock music. So they were our go-to for everything. Like, we did Journey, REO Speedwagon, Sticks, Nugent. Blah, blah, blah. And so we got to know Jeff Barton really, really well because <laughs> he did all of those. Um, and Record Mirror, you didn't even go near them before punk because... Because no, they were disco, as I remember it. They well, were, it was yeah. pop. They were pop. Yeah, pop and disco. It was, like, it was sort of <laughs> not really like Smash Hits. It was a bit more serious than Smash Hits. A but it, bit. But it was pop and disco and dance. And, that, you know, I mean, there, there was no sort of... Uh, you know, different sub-genres of dance at the time, I don't know, so it's not like there is now, but... Okay. Well, I mean, that, I, I don't know... EDM and all those sorts of things, you oh, know. Okay, well, in, in this particular disco. era... Mick Wall was a great disco dancer. Oh, definitely. Still am, yeah. Um, it, it was very pop in those days. Yeah. Um, so you just didn't... You didn't You didn't bother. I had one guy that worked there called Ronnie Gurr, who I would sort of force-feed, Thin Lizzy-esque type yeah. stuff, and he would just about manage to get it Wasn't in. Wasn't it all also in colour? The front cover the front was, cover was in colour. Nothing it, else, yeah. just the colour. The rest of them were inky, sounds and Melody Maker and Enemy. Oh, no, they were inky as well, but it was a colour. Yeah, the, as I say, the cover was colour, and they yeah. also were one of the first, I think, to go on to more magazine-y type yeah, format, weren't they? Maybe. Yeah. I mean, I, I did do some reviews for them in, like, 78, under a different name, but it just, you know, if you, I, I hated turning up going, I, I'm from Record Mirror. Yeah. People felt sorry for you, you know. Um, so anyway, we, we were doing Hawkwind and you, you didn't even bother. You called Sounds, Melody Maker, maybe they do half a page. But that was it. Um, and Alf Martin, who was the editor of Record Mirror, a nice bloke. Um, all his staff were, you know, kids and he was a geezer. And he just rang up one day. He said, listen, we... I've taken on this guy, not not a freelance, you're not a star yeah. position, to write about rock and metal. We went, no way. <laughs> he said, um, so I'm going to ask him to do a piece on Hawkwind. Because, you know, you send the press releases out, you send the record out, you don't expect anything back from Record Mirror. Alf rings up and says, we've got this guy, his name is Malcolm Dome. And we went, fucking brilliant, send him over. Now, heavy publicity in 1979 was cocaine central. You know, any journalist... And, well, the music business was, in fairness. Th this was the 70s. And um, anybody that came to our office, it was like a vampire. We, we, we were grateful that they would come in and interview whoever it was, but we would use that as an opportunity to kind of induct them into our world so that we could then uh, hit them up for favours with other bands further down the line. And the this is how it works. You're learning how yeah. it works now. And the foolproof way of doing that in those days was to get the drugs out, right? I mean, I, I can remember sellotaping packets of gear inside record sleeves and, and sending them on a bike to music journalists who would give great reviews to records they probably didn't even listen to, you know. Um, so this guy, we're waiting for this guy, Malcolm Dome. I mean, he's probably like this biker dude yeah, with the yeah, long hair. Yeah, gotta be. He's forced his way onto Record Mirror and made them write about rock music. Yeah, we were going, this bloke's going to last about a month. So let's get make the most of it, you know. 
and uh, and Malcolm turns turns up this this professorial looking uh, guy with glasses, balding but with a yamel car. And I, I didn't. I'm looking, thinking, what's that on his? I didn't really know what a yamel car was. Yeah, the little the cap that Jew, Orthodox Jewish people wear. <laughs> Just for anybody that's listening. Um, and me and Joe O'Neill, who's also now dead, we're looking at each other going, what's the... I'm just fucking... Where's okay. Malcolm? Yeah, who's this guy? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm Malcolm. Hello. Hello, I'm Malcolm. Yeah. Hello. Hello. And and we immediately, like, out comes the mirror. Spang! And drugs. Went, no, oh, no, not for me. Not for me. Not for me. And we went, thinking, mm, that's weird. Because also in those days, everybody smoked, right? Yeah. So you'd go, do you want a fag? And someone, oh, I don't, I don't smoke. It was like... Mm. Yeah, even, what you remember is like even footballers and people, <laughs> Olympic athletes smoked in Absolutely. those days. Well, you know, you see there was Wayne, nothing wrong with smoking at that point. Which is one of the reasons why Wayne Rooney was such a throwback. It was him having <laughs> was, a fag. Yeah. Teddy Sheringham having a fag, you know. There's great pictures of the England World Cup side in 1970 sitting around yeah. playing cards. There's Bobby Charlton, Bobby Moore, all the others. And all well, also, every sporting event that was on television was sponsored by a cigarette company. The Embassy <laughs> Snooker, the Benson and Hedges <laughs> Cricket. They were all, all sponsored by cigarette companies. So this guy comes in. He doesn't want any coke. It's like, that was really baffling. So we'll have a fag. He I don't didn't... He, don't smoke. This Jewish guy came here. <laughs> he didn't want any cocaine. Yeah, we didn't. We never met anybody that didn't want cocaine. No. You know. Who are you, man? Yeah. So then it was like, well, you'll have a joint. No, I don't smoke. Yeah. Fuck me. Have a drink. No, I don't drink. So in the end, I literally said to him, "Well, what can we get you? We've got to get you something." And he went, "It's like your mate Adam Ant. Don't don't drink. Don't <laughs> smoke. What, what do, do you, you do? do? Well, yeah. I said, well, what, "We've got to get you something. What would you like?" And he went. I like donuts, right? And and as it happened, down we were on um, Harrow Road, like the parade of shops, yeah. and we were first floor above a couple of shops. And one of the shops below us was a bakery. So we sent the girl down, mm. gave us some money from Petty Cash. I said, go and get him some donuts. And she goes, what, what, what flavour? Which is a selection. Get like a dozen, you know, because that's how it was. Yeah. So she comes back this huge tray with about 12 different donuts. And I was like, oh, lovely, lovely. And he just picks up one and that's it. And we're like, what are we going to do with these fucking yeah. donuts now? Sprinkle cocaine on yeah. top of well, that, yeah, that's, yeah, that's a good mm. idea. Um, and it was like, well, you'll, you'll have some brandy. or Oh, no. I said, well, he said, tea. I like tea. We went, fuck me. Cup of... Now we're scared. Him and Hawkwind are really going to get on. <laughs> You're thinking at this point. <laughs> I can just see him and Dave Brock hitting it off like long lost brothers. Well, it was Dave Brock. Uh, and of course, Dave Brock, I'm sure I told you this story. Uh, later on on that tour, when I went on the road with them, we got to Edinburgh and we we're just checking out in the morning at the hotel. And he comes over and he's standing next to me. And as a joke, I went, bins around the back, mate. Yeah. And he went, <laughs> you're fired. And yeah. I was like, ha, 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 ha. That is one of the great rock and roll firings. <laughs> And they drove <laughs> off in the bus. And I'm on a, I'm on a payphone ringing London going, what are we going to do? Dave Brock's just sacked me. Yeah. And they went, the kid, he sacked the kid. <laughs> the kid's not been born yet. He's already sacked. <laughs> so we're thinking, fucking whoever. So we had a special room we'd put them in to do interviews. And Brock's in there already, you know, probably tripping. Brock would spike people's drinks with acid. Yeah. Maybe that's what happened. <laughs> um and anyway, he came out, you know, 40 minutes later or whatever it was. And 
all good. And did he just... have a tape recorder then? I'm trying to think. Cause See, that's the other thing. I don't think Malcolm, he did. I mean, the, the thing to sort of say about Malcolm, like my first impression came way later when he was already news editor of Crank. But it was just this humming whir of energy. You know, it was just full on, you know, on yeah. the phone, typing, yeah. talking, making straight. You know, do you remember you used to go brruh, yeah, all the time yeah. when he answered the phone? Yeah. Just pick the phone up and go brruh, Oh, it's Malcolm. Yeah. <laughs> it's like this this internal energy. And when he did interviews, quite often he didn't seem to be doing he, any recording or writing let, down. Shall we just say he took copious notes? <laughs> yeah. It was like, hang on, you, Mac, you've just been on the phone for 40 minutes to sort of Lemmy or someone, you know, with no sign of any um, notes. And yet here comes a feature, you know, and it was great. It would always be great. Yeah, it's weird you saying that because... I. I anticipating our conversation today i was thinking back to that time and i was thinking there's a piece i'm missing what is the missing piece and i suddenly thought i don't think he had a tape recorder i don't think he had one for a long time because i think mm. he because he was i found out sort of retrospectively as i got to know him a bit better was that he'd been an editor on a science journal. That's right, yeah. yeah. Um, so I think I, this was where the kind of mad, the, the mad Mickey this sort of this was based on the notion that he was once going to be a scientist, I think, wasn't it? Like, I just thought it was based on the fact that he was fucking I, 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 mad. No, it was, but it was that kind of, he had that kind of slight mad scientist he, vibe. I more think, than you know. slight. Yeah, he yeah. could have been an early iteration of Doctor Who. Yeah, exactly. exactly. He really could. It's exactly what he was like. Then. But Doctor, with, with no, the, no, with, you really. know, And he had the Bobby Charlton going on, the comb over. He had the went, Bobby Charlton and yeah. a Yamulka. Yeah, and then, and then once the Yamulka went, uh, uh, always a baseball cap. Oh, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm wearing my That's baseball cap now. today, yeah. you know, in, yeah. in, in honour. Um, not because I'm freezing. Um, so so you, so you counted him on Record Mirror first. Yeah. Um, but we honestly thought here today, gone later today, this can't last. But it did. And then, again, concertinaing here. Heavy publicity falls apart by the end of 1980. Uh, there was an unfortunate fire. <laughs> In the building, to which yeah. the insurers were readily alert, <laughs> and um, I ended up statue of limitations has run out on that one. <laughs> I ended up working in a burger place as Smelling a dishwasher. Of petrol. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't me; it was Joe. I had nothing to do with it. Um, so you know, a couple of lean years. Let's put it that way. And then in about eighty two, eighty one, eighty two. Uh, out of the blue, there used to be a magazine called Flexi Pop. Yeah, I remember it had a Flexi Disc on the front. Yeah, yeah. that was why it's called Flexi Pop. Well, it was called Flexi Pop. Flexi -pop. A Flexi Disc. You don't know what a Flexi Disc is. The kid will now explain to you. <laughs> well, in the days where you'd play a record, for a while there was this thing called Flexi Disc. The NME, funnily enough, were the first ones I ever saw do this. They would do it once or twice a year. And it was an Alice Cooper, Billion Dollar Babies was just coming out. And you'd get a little... Uh, extract of two or three tracks. Yeah, yeah. But it, the quality was shit because it was really thin. It was thin. like a super thin bit of plastic. Yeah. And what you had to do was you had to put a record on the turntable, <laughs> then put the flexi disc on top of the record. Oh. And that, <laughs> that's why you couldn't that's fucking why I couldn't play it. hear it. <laughs> yeah. I thought, you, you see, to, it, <laughs> no, I thought you, you put, put that straight on the turntable. No, I would sell a tape of two PPs onto the stylus so it <laughs> sunk into it. You're supposed to put it on a record. And then wonder why it kept scratching. Yeah, yeah. It's still, it's still no good if you put it on a record, <laughs> but that was what you were supposed to do. 
I did, wouldn't it slide a bit if you no, put no, it on? No, 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 we had a hole in the middle. Oh, fair enough. <laughs> so, um, so by the very, very early 80s, Barry Kane and Tim Lott, who had both been on Record Mirror, um, started their own little mag. And it must have been the new wave of British heavy metal or something. I, I realise that now. I did not realise that at the time. But they just called out the blue. Uh, and I d- did a few pieces for Fle- Flexipop. And they said, look, we've got this idea for a poster magazine. Do you remember what poster magazine? Do you remember them at all? You'd buy, an, as it were, magazine. But once you'd finished reading it, it would fold out into a poster. So it wasn't like very many pages. You'd get about three features. It's like 16 in. pages, wasn't it? Yeah, and it would fold into a sort of A3 yeah. poster on the there back. There you go. Oh, you if, if you flat planned it properly <laughs> and worked out what bits you were supposed to put the writing on. Well, they brought me in to edit it, write it, build it. I'd go in like two days a month or something. and uh, Or maybe a week, I don't know. But uh, I, there was no flat planning, I can tell you that. <laughs> um, and it was called Metal Fury. And I would diligently just copy stuff out of Kerrang, yeah. you know, because I didn't want to interview anybody. Fuck all that. I wasn't getting paid enough money. I was probably like £200 a month or something to go in and do this. And uh, I remember the designer was Mark Manning, who then a few years oh, later became, became Zodiac, Zodiac Mind Wolf. Yeah. Um, so to fill space, I would do this. And thinking back again, I'm only putting this together now, but it's kind of like an early version of View from the Bar, which became Kerrang's gossip column. Uh, before that existed because yeah um, I did this thing called the Frank Fury column and Frank Fury was a, a, you know, a parody of a crazy lunatic who would just slag everything off and take the piss and it became the most popular thing in the mag <laughs> in the poster mag in the poster yeah. mag and uh, and anyway then and then at a certain point it was it would sell uh, and so they gave me a little budget if I needed to hire other writers. So I called Malcolm. And my memory is, and I, I, this I don't know what came first, but either before Metal Fury or maybe after Metal Fury, but my memory is that Malcolm was editing a similar thing called Metal Mania. Right, yeah. Um, and uh, so he, he would do the occasional piece for Metal Fury. And then I just got sick of it, you know, and uh, he took over. <laughs> Son like you. Son like you get <laughs> sick of something and leave. I, can't, I can barely imagine that. <laughs> so he took over. Okay, now cut to the end of 83. And um, I'm now, my, my career has really taken off again. And I'm, <laughs> I'm washing pots and pans at Heathrow Airport. Yeah. I mean, and, you should, and you should say at this point, Kerrang! started in 81, didn't it? Right, right. And Malk right. was there pretty much at the start of that, I think. Of it being a magazine. Yeah, of it much, being yeah. A, a proper magazine, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, long story short, I'd met this girl. She she just started art college as a mature student. And her boyfriend working at Heathrow scrubbing pots and pans just didn't cut the ice. Is that your fuck? Fu- you, can know. you just put it on silent? <laughs> I thought just I for once in your life, I put it on I silent. Had done. It's like it's like trying to do a podcast with Elon Musk. You know, your your phone just blows up. Yeah, I, you know, what do you know? Well, just how long is it? What are you typing? Put it on silent. Mute notifications. Oh, and that takes you, you have to type something, do you? You can't just fucking <laughs> squeeze a button. Just 
take us back to 1983. So I need to, I need to, I need to, I need to do something to impress this bird. So um, a two pronged attack. The only two people left in the business that would talk to me. This is the era when Phonogram asked me to do a Black Sabbath press release for Born Again, and I didn't even have a typewriter. (laughs) So, so I wrote it longhand. Yeah. And they'd sent me the record and I couldn't be bothered to listen to it. And uh, so between important shifts at Heathrow, I just wrote this bollocks on a bit of paper and sent it in. And they just were appalled. Yeah. They were appalled. Did it have like washing up liquid? It probably it? did, yeah. <laughs> it probably was referencing bits of the album that didn't exist, yeah. you know. <laughs> they probably rang Malcolm and got him to do it for half the price. That was the other yeah. thing. Um so I'm like, what am I going to do? So I had this one friend on Time Out. I rang him. And this one friend on Kerrang! who was Malcolm Dome. And within the space of two weeks, I did a piece for Time Out interviewing Morrissey of the Smiths yeah. on the phone. Right. But this is before they were the Smiths, you know, certainly before I'd heard of them. And... Um, <laughs> So I'm going, Morrissey, what kind of name is that? Yeah. I said, haven't you got so a first would name? Would you cut your hair if I <laughs> asked you to? No, what would you do if I cut your hair? Yeah, what would you do if I cut your You'd hair? You'd probably have an orgasm. <laughs> um, so I, and I rang Malcolm, and Malcolm wasn't all that. He was like, oh, we're pretty good. I think we've got enough, you know. I said, is that, well, what are you looking for? There must be one thing you're looking for. And he said, well, we're trying to get an interview with Yes, who just released 90125, was it? Is that what it was called? <laughs> What was it called? Oh, okay. No, well, no, well, no, it wasn't. It was yeah, it was nine hundred one two five. Oh, it was it? okay. Yeah. And um, and I I knew Trevor Rabin a tiny bit this from when, much. Yeah, from when this he produced much. the Wild Horses album. And uh, so I I I I blagged it. I rang yeah, up. Yeah, yeah. What's the first thing you do as a freelancer? Do you, do you know? Yeah, yes, I do know. Absolutely. That. Yes, I, said, oh, I can get them for you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, of course I can. You so cut I, the right Malcolm. <laughs> You come to the right man. <laughs> yes. I was, he was just yeah, here this morning. Yeah. Why didn't you say? Should have said yes. Oh, cool. So I go and do this. And so literally the, the, the little interview with Morrissey comes out in Time Out. And about a week later, the big interview with Trevor Rabin comes out in Kerrang. And and Kerrang that was a certain follow-up. They liked it. Uh, the Morrissey thing was okay, but anybody on Time Out could have done yeah. it, you know. And to cut a long story short, Malcolm then asked me if I would like to review Judas Priest at the Hammersmith Odeon, <laughs> to which I said I, I would like nothing more in life. I can't imagine a better night out. So I went to that. You're old friends, of course. Was this pre-Woolworth, pre-the-Woolworth? Oh, no, this is post This is post. So you'd already been with this buying is, underpants. This is five Alfred. years yeah. after Woolworth. So they were delighted to see you again. Well, I was only You're reviewing. When, yeah, well, they saw your name on the guest list. Oh, good. Oh, good. It's me. <laughs> it's the kid. Oh, so, good. I remember watching it. And I can't well, remember you the... you went? I did go. I didn't <laughs> stay long, but I did go. And... Um, you went uh, to see your mate upstairs. What was it? Marco. Marco in the bar, yeah. So um, so when I came to write the review, I, 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 I just couldn't get round to it. And um, oh, by now I've got a typewriter, but three of the caps are missing. Yeah. So every time you have to hit T or H or what it was, yeah. you really hurt your fingers. T is not an important letter. It doesn't <laughs> crop up very often. The, yeah. Yeah, I'd be going, how can I avoid... You know. Yeah, I'm not going to review any bands that, like Axl Rose. I'm not going to review any bands that have got a T in it. So, um, 
I just couldn't get with it. And in the end, Malcolm rang up and he's like, and I had a phone you couldn't dial out on because I couldn't <laughs> afford it. And he rings me up and I said, well, I'm, no, I'm, I'm writing it right here and now. Um, can I just read it to you? And he went, yep, okay, yep, 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 yep. <laughs> <He> <laughs> could... Malcolm is the only man in the whole of the music industry that, who would have said yes to that. Because yeah, he could yeah. type really yeah, fast. Yeah. So I literally made it up on the spot. And I remember the opening line was, blam, blam. Blam, 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 motherfucker. But also, Malcolm <laughs> wouldn't have bothered writing what you were saying. He would have just been typing up whatever he heard, which might have been something completely different. No, it was fairly. We'll accurate. come on to some of Malcolm's legendary features. We later. will, we yeah. will. So that was that was sort of the beginning. And by the time I got to Kerrang, uh, not on the, I was never on the staff. But you know, nobody, not even Malcolm, was on the staff for many years. But he just would turn up every day. It was all freelance. Yeah, I remember. It was you still freelance when I got there. Turned up, yeah. and in this little room we were in in Covent Garden, there were literally two big tables. And Jeff Barton would be at one table and opposite him would be Dante. And they hated each other, <laughs> like with an absolute vengeance. And the second table, uh, Malcolm would sit at the head of it with his typewriter. And then I would sit opposite Steve, soon-to-be crusher, Jewel. And um, that was that was really when I got to know Malcolm much, much better. And I do feel... I think he would have turned to the dark side sooner or later anyway. But there was a very certain step where he went from being a non-drinker to a drinker. And it was absolutely to do with sharing this table with me and Crusher. Because we were drinkers, big drinkers in those days. And uh, we used to quite often, almost every day, bring in a Perrier bottle. Because people don't realise now, but the idea of bringing around your own individual water bottle it just didn't, didn't exist. No, no, Perrier didn't do little bottles. No. It was like massive bottle. Yeah, you, green It'd be like a week's glass, worth of... Like, a green a glass Fizzy, bottle. horrible, bitter... Yeah. Tasteless water, muck, yeah, like, expensive. But it, oh, it was supposed to be French, so it was amazing. <laughs> it tasted a horrible... Well, I'll have a Perrier. Yeah, I'll have a Perrier. Will you? A Perrier in line. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be yeah. lovely. Oh, how exquisite. Lovely, yeah. So we would buy this bottle of Perrier, empty it down the toilet, yeah. and fill it with tequila or vodka or anything that you couldn't really tell the difference. And uh, it was a really hot day. It must have been summer of, I'm going to say, 85. Um... And Malcolm came back from an interview pouring with sweat. You know, I'm going to have to say personal hygiene was not a priority. For any of you in that point. Especially Malcolm. Um, he used to fucking stink sometimes, bless him. Uh, so did yeah. I. Well, you have to say, you can <laughs> got a whiff of you a few times, mate. <laughs> I can remember. Especially at Donington. Oh, my God. Um <laughs> And he came in just completely like pouring with sweat and really thirsty. And he just went over to the table and he grabbed the bottle Ooh, of Perrier. Perrier. Literally. Yeah. He goes, oh, I'm really hot. So he goes, <laughs> Undid the top and went, go, 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 go. And he then went, ah, ah. Okay, Malcolm, stop drinking our fucking tequila. <laughs> I thought it was water. It's not fucking water. It doesn't matter. <laughs> how how many think- years have you sat <laughs> next to me, you know? Do you not wonder why I can't walk by the end of the day? <laughs> so uh, it was not long after that that he started drinking. Yeah. But it also was around that era where he lost the Yamal car. And that was to do with, and I think it was his mum. It might have been his dad. But I think it was his mum died. 
and at that point I think the family unit sort of became more dissolute you know because he was very orthodox and um, suddenly the Yamilcar disappeared and he was boozing except he never drank beer he never drank wine because he'd never acquired any taste for it no the first thing he tasted was tequila <laughs> <laughs> that was the first alcoholic yeah. drink he ever had was yeah. half a pint of tequila down the <laughs> Uh, so he used to drink like vodkas and yeah. and, and he'd always put pineapple. But vodka juice. and pineapple, yeah, that's right. But of course, he was so hyper that even if you had been drinking a vodka and pineapple, which of course you never would, but say the two of you had one, and you were a heavy drinker, you'd still only be halfway through yours before he'd be drip and get another one. <laughs> yeah. drip, get, yeah. never, literally, never would touch the sides. Yeah. So I don't think he ever liked. We well, see here was the yeah here was the uh, when I was. First walked into Krang in 1987. Again, the kid. Still at, I was still at college. Still at college. Still uh, lived at home. Green. You were green. Was literally green. You were green around I, the I gills. I remember. I can still remember taking, you know, getting into Waterloo Station, taking the tube up to Mornington Crescent, which is where the offices were. They'd moved from um, Covent Garden to uh, Mornington Crescent, and imagining in my mind what <laughs> the correct, because having been a reader. Since the first issue, imagine it was a party. Yeah, imagine in my mind what was Kerrang going to be like. And in my head, what it was going to be, there would be rows of desks with typewriters on, and everyone who was on the staff block back in those days would be in the office at these typewriters. <laughs> See, we were, obviously it was nothing like that. Right. I walked into the office. I think it was a Monday morning, so probably there was probably only two people there. One of them would well, have been well, Malcolm. Obviously, it was Malcolm, and I think probably Dante maybe was there. I don't oh, know. Yeah, he was an early guy. Yeah, he was someone else who had no life. Yeah, whatsoever. I, it was. I, I just remember like sitting in reception where Isabel was, you know, just like waiting for someone to come and get me. It was probably Malcolm that came and got me. I oh, would have been. Yeah, uh, you know, no one else turned up. It's about half eleven, right. and then go, going with your your you know Vulcan Panama. About half twelve, having turned about, everyone went over the road to the Russell Arms, to which the was pub. The sort of drinking the pub where everyone drank at that time. <clears throat> Till about three thirty. Till about three thirty, and actually, no one was at the Rosa, but that's where everyone was. <laughs> Ray Palmer was there, met Ray over there, and the Crusher was there, and, and that was where I first encountered Malcolm drinking the vodka and pineapple. Yeah. It's fair to say in the afternoons the work rate picked up a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing is, we would pub. never go home. No. I mean, uh, and we, it was a bunch of misfits. I mean, at the time I first started writing for them in regularly in 84, I literally had nowhere to live and I literally had no money. So I would sleep on Crusher's couch. Uh, I even slept at Malcolm's place once or twice, a little bit later. But um, I remember I would go to work with 50p. Um, and uh, at Covent Garden in those days, you could still, you know, they didn't have the electric barriers. Yeah. So you would walk up those stairs. Yeah, they didn't at Mornington Crescent either. Oh, that's yeah. right. Yeah, you so could you just, just walk up the stairs for miles and miles. Yeah, and yeah. we got to the top act with a nonchalant yeah, you just, air. Yeah, just saunter out. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Or sometimes there'd be a guard on the gate and you'd press a 10p into his hand, <laughs> you know. Shiny six. There you go, mate. Like you're, like you're coming out of the Beverly Hills Hilton. Yeah. There you yeah. go, mate. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so... Uh, uh, but I do remember, again, the, the actuality in terms of years. I'm going to say 85, 86. Um, what do you call that? Is it a tabernacle? You know, in the Orthodox Jewish yeah. faith, there's a certain time of the year or a certain holiday 
where you have to go into the tabernacle and have your, all your meals there and something like that. Someone will know. And after his mum died, his dad sold the house and they moved elsewhere. And Malcolm needed help moving the tabernacle to the new house. And I had no idea what a tabernacle was. But I had n nothing else going on in my life either. And it looked like I could get out of the office for the afternoon. So that was all right. And I remember it was a really hot day. And a tabernacle is like a fortified garden shed. You know, it's, 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 it's not plywood. It's proper stuff. It's wood, but it's proper stuff. And literally, me and Malcolm, on our own, <laughs> had to dismantle a tabernacle, <laughs> carry it down the garden path to this truck. Yeah. I've never worked so hard in my entire yeah. fucking life. And we'd got the tube up there. He lived in Golders Green, you know. Got the tube up there and then the tube back. By the time we got back to the office, I mean, the sweat patches yeah. all over me. The, you know, You've done a proper day's work for once I, in your life. <laughs> I've done a proper day's work. And I just couldn't believe it, you know. See, this was part of the, the you know, by the time I arrived, the, the legends had sprung up around Malcolm. And one of them that was certainly true that you will remember was that soon after that, after he'd, after his parents had passed away, I think, and he'd inherited some money, he used to go to New York every weekend. Do you remember that? Yes. It was astonishing. It was astonishing. I mean, sometimes some of them were record company trips as well, but he would go to New York on a Friday and be back in the office on a Monday morning. That's true. It was uh, extraordinary. Uh, because there'd be gigs on yeah. and people well, he knew. Well, there was something to do, you know. It was, yeah. Well, because what else is he going to do at the weekend? Yeah. Sit on his own, staring at the walls. I mean, again, the, in these times, yeah, there, there, like, are, there are alternatives. Three, three TV channels and no internet, yeah, nothing like that. He also used to support Everton. Yes, he did. And he would and he would travel to Liverpool for yeah. all their home games yeah. to see Everton. Yeah. I remember him telling me this and me going, Everton. Yeah, who the fuck supports Everton? Yeah. And who lives in London? What Jewish guy lives in London? Yeah, Orthodox goes Jewish to guy. Liverpool, and goes up to yeah. Liverpool to see Everton. Yeah. I, I actually said to him once, "Are they a Jewish team? You know, like Tottenham are a Jewish team." <laughs> yeah. You know, he went, yeah. "No, no, no, no." <laughs> I finally figured it out because it turns out he was sixty-six when he died, so he was born in fifty-six, so he would have been thirteen. When Everton won the league, ah, uh, that's always the formative. I think that time. must have been, mustn't yeah, it? When yeah. Alan Ball, yeah, played they had for a very him. good team at that point. Yeah, yeah. Joe Royal, yeah, yes, yes, Bob Latchford, probably. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Oh, I think yeah. 
Someone like that. Something like that. Yeah. But um, so he was definitely, yeah. And I, I think it was just filling the time because no matter what time of day or night you turn up at Kerrang, unless he was away, he, uh, you he know, was abroad, there. he was there. Yeah. I was told he'd turn up at like 6 a.m. Uh, and then, you know, all day, all day. And then in the evening, very common, we would just go straight out to a gig. Not Jeff Barton. He had a home to go. He to. had a he had life. He, he, had, had he actually had a home to <laughs> yeah, go. To. Yeah. But Dante a house that he paid for with money. Yeah. Dante, who still lived at home, had nowhere to go and nothing going on. So he was out every night. Same with Malcolm, and for slightly different reasons. Same with me. Um, the kid. It, the kid. <laughs> and so you know that was the whole of life at that point. But I'm. So he had. He definitely, we, we keep saying hyper. I think that he had, I don't know if it was an overactive thyroid or... It was, it was something. I mean, I was thinking about this, and th- you know, when I was coming over today and thinking, I think there's something important to say about his work rate and the way he worked and what he did when he got to Kerrang. He was the news editor, and <clears throat> we'll probably say in a minute what, you know, there was a, a great division of the staff at one point, and Malcolm and Dante left to go and work on, on Metal Hammer. <clears throat> briefly you took over the news and then I took over from you but I and, and it you. was a bit, but filling those shoes of Malcolm was a tremendous task and the reason why it was a tremendous task and I think it, this is it strikes me now as sort of vaguely futuristic what he did with the news either consciously or unconsciously because as you say the music press wasn't that big so the attention on heavy metal was really only in Kerrang yeah so the notion of what was a news story became something quite different because he had three or four pages of news to fill. So he came up with this kind of combination of gossip and news, really, where he would be on the phone to someone and he'd be always be on the phone to people, always. to America, you know, wherever. He'd be on the phone. So he'd be picking up information the whole time. And because there was all this space to fill, all of a sudden he would put in stories like, um, you know, uh, I'd pick a band from time, you know, rat. Rat have demoed three new tracks <laughs> and they're called X, Y, and Z. You, that would never have been printed in any other music magazine because it just wasn't important enough. But the, the genius of it was that's what the fans yeah. wanted to know. Yeah. That's what you really, you are, oh, they're back in this. God damn, I found this talking to a producer. Fan. And Malcolm kind of cracked that, either knowingly or unknowingly. And that's what made his news so good was that it was all this kind of mad information. And then it kind of, then View from the Bar started up. So, you know, I know you, you did View from the Bar for a lot of the time, but a lot of the stories would come either <laughs> through oh, something yeah. that Malcolm did or someone that Malcolm had been talking to, you know. And then there'd be this division again between, you know, this bit of information. We can use, that's a View from the Bar story. That's not a news story. But, but the general kind of idea that there was this universe that existed and there was this stuff happening in it and it was interesting and malcolm was the one who was yeah. picking it up i think that was a you know that was a really important thing that he did and it's like twitter or whatever now it's like yeah. a kind of primitive version of that the second something happens you know about it and that was what that was what malcolm was like he was always out you know he'd put the phone out oh you know uh, so gary moore's just done this <laughs> that or the other and then he'd pick the phone up again he would be like, before you could even ask him about what it was, it would be so you know he was on to the next thing. I, I think also because he was <clears throat> genuinely interested in that minutiae. Yeah, yeah, yes, himself. He was, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but so were the fans. That was the thing. That was what made Kerrang so good. You know, was that he he understood that that's what people wanted, and I think that was a really important contribution that doesn't often get discussed. You know, he was a great journalist. Yeah. 
He was a really in, great a, in a sense, not in the sense of go off and investigate something. No. I mean, none of us really did that, but in the sense of you know being a being a gatherer of information. Absolutely, he, he for sure. was. He he was the watcher, you know, in yeah. the sky. I mean, you would. Uh, or you'd be trying to figure... These days you Google or you, you go online or you can find stuff out. In those days you had to ask someone. Yes, and he was yeah, the yeah. font of all information. Yeah, yeah. And you'd go... I mean, and ridiculous stuff. I remember... Because uh, he, he had a ludicrous memory as well. He could remember you know, anything. Well, there so was... A, I remember one time... Not like, like uh, us. Barely remember who was in the band. You know. <laughs> I remember, Malcolm remember what track two of side uh, three of, uh, you know, Welcome to Hell I, was. I had a message on the Patreon site a little while ago saying uh, they love it when you and I get things wrong and can't remember. But they just wanted to know, was that deliberate? <laughs> <laughs> and I said, of course it is. We never get we know, anything we know wrong. Everything. We yeah. rigorously research every fact. Yeah, before we would yeah. deign to bring it to your attention. Um, I remember once, again, I'm going to say 88, 89 in LA and um, sitting around someone's place by the pool because everybody had a pool. And uh, what was that producer? Bo, Bo Hill. Bo Hill. Yes. Married he went to Fiona. Fiona yeah. Who Malcolm yeah. was besotted yeah. with, bless it. Yeah. Malcolm used to pay for Fiona to fly to London so she could network and meet people. Yeah. But she completely friend-zoned him, as we say these days. Uh, but sitting in this place, just killing time one afternoon, and Bo uh, Hill. Hill was there. And I had a copy of Billboard. And, um, yeah, because, again, these days you could look at Billboard right now on your phone. But back then, you actually had to be in America to, <laughs> yeah, to, to see it. So I'm sitting here looking at Billboard. And it just turned into this thing where I was going through the Hot 100. And I would look at something, some group I'd never heard of or vaguely heard of. I go, it says here, in at 77 with a bullet is the new you know, Helion. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah, very good. That's very yeah. good. Anne Boleyn. Anne Boleyn. I think it's, it was her. Was it? I, so that came to my head. Yeah. But Malcolm, yeah, that's exactly like, what Malcolm would know. It's yeah. a third album. Third album yeah. Second, yeah. second <laughs> album got number 62. This yeah. one <laughs> and Bo would be going, yep, yeah, no, he'd be yeah. joining in. But it, So they were sort of neck and neck for a while. And then, because Bo was obviously in the business. And then suddenly Bo's knowledge was sort of plateauing and Malcolm just kept zooming ahead yeah. we got all the way to number one you know and he was still telling us stuff and Bo said to him Malcolm you, you have got to get a job as an A&R guy <laughs> yeah. you would clean you'd be the new Kolodna yeah and in fact I th it may have been through Bo that Malcolm was offered a job in America as an A&R guy and I want to say Atlantic but the truth is, I can't remember. It's too many years ago. But it was big. It wasn't like going to work for you know, Hollywood no, I Records. I mean, it, or back something. in the day, I mean, it's worth saying back in the day, A&R men, that, it, it's like being a footballer. You know, that's the equivalent in the music business, isn't it? It's like being a, a, a Premier League footballer, being oh, yeah. a major label A&R guy. You've got huge salary, huge expenses, fly everywhere. And, and you, this and is you, for, but you're the gatekeeper. You hold the power. And this is for the mediocre ones. Yeah. You know, who might have one little bit of success, but suddenly they're living the dream lifestyle. Um, Derek Groveler, you know, <laughs> fucking useless twat. But he, he has a vague bit of 
you know, Don't be horrible to Derek. He signed, um, see, I'm going to sound like Malcolm now. I remember him signing that band Tangiers. Uh, to I rest to, my case. Yeah, oh yeah, and he rested his case. Sold two million copies. That was in the day when you could do that. Yeah. You know? And what about all the other wonderful ones he signed? Yeah, that's what you do. Look, Matt. That's yeah, but that's that, what that I'm saying. Even, me- that is even mediocrity oh, could earn you a lot of money. But Malcolm, Malcolm, I mean, Malcolm was not mediocre. He was no, but he, but he would have signed. <laughs> I mean, he would have signed an insane number of bands. He was like they always say with A and R guys, didn't they? You used to get a two-year contract. As you say, the trick is don't sign anything in your first two years. And then as you get to the last few weeks, make your first big signing because then they've got to give you another contract to see that one through. But Malcolm, would, on the first or, day, would have signed 15 or bands. Dante you know. Benuto becoming an A&R man and never signing yeah, anyone. Was, that's the idea. 30 it? yeah, years it's later. Sort of like you don't really want to sign, you know, because then you've got something people can criticise. But Malcolm wouldn't have had any. He would have, he would have signed 12 bands on day one. And had them all doing demos, and one of them would have been Venom, and one of them would have been, you know, some kind of soft rock thing, because that was the the scale of his yeah. listening. Yeah, you know? yeah. No, absolutely. There was no yeah. no limit on no. the stuff that he would zero in on, but he had that kind of laser focus. And I remember, um, and and he had so many friends everywhere. Like every time he went to LA, there'd be a limo waiting to pick him up. And I went, how the fuck do you manage that? You know. And he'd go, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. <laughs> and and it, in, in those days, it was Alan Niven uh, who managed Guns N' Roses yeah, yeah. and Great White. And Malcolm had been really, obviously, helpful for Guns N' Roses, but particularly Great White, who was Alan's great love. Yeah, they were his band. And so every time Malcolm was coming to L.A., Alan would have a limo meet him at the airport. And, and Malcolm would get off the plane, you know, smelling of vomit and <laughs> booze and crawl into the back of this limo. And uh, be taken to the Sunset Marquee, yeah. you know. Uh, um, but no, he, he, incredible knowledge. And I think, yeah, had he taken that job or I any other job. I didn't know that. I'd never heard that. I think it, it would. Yeah, I, I wonder how. I'm sitting there going to Malcolm. Bo Hill is offering you a job at Atlantic. Yeah. And he goes, oh, no, 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 no. He, he didn't want the well, responsibility. I think, I think the thing was with, with Malcolm, I mean, it always struck me. Um is that he, yeah, he wasn't slight in the slightest materialistic. No, he didn't Not, even have a mobile yeah, phone. No, I mean, he just wasn't into that as a, as a sort of way. So when he, if he had money, he spent it, whatever, you know, doing what he wanted to do, going to Everton or going to New York or whatever he wanted to do. It was a means to an end. It, he wasn't materialistic. So I think in his mind, maybe the offer of that job sort of didn't really mean anything. It, you know, no. it, it, to him, being news editor of Kerrang! was of equal stature and usefulness Absolutely. as being, you know, head of A&R yeah. <laughs> Atlantic or yeah. something, but even though the salaries were somewhat different. Yeah. Now, yeah. I, 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 you're absolutely right. You've hit the nail on the head. About his work rate, there was a time <laughs> in the, there was a time in the mid-90s when he and I teamed up to do yeah, some Yeah, that's right, that's right. And this is where, and I think in fairness to him, I was also uh, no longer cared, you know, because, you know, Kerrang! had pretty much, it's still around, but the Kerrang! that we had helped build, you and I and all the others, had gone, you know, with grunge. Oh, yeah, yeah, it was in the 90s. It just was a bad time. And uh, Malcolm, you know, because he and Dante had, had left Kerrang to go and l- launch the UK version of Metal Hammer, a job I turned down. Um, 
and it hadn't worked out. They wanted so the kid. The Germans wanted the kid. They did. They couldn't get um, They couldn't get me. And that was short-lived, wasn't it? That, that, that's just they, well, that within, was short-lived. So, so they then started Raw. Raw that was magazine, the next Which the next launched venture. at Castle Donington in 1988. Yeah. Uh, Jonathan King. I tell oh. you, talk about an inauspicious <laughs> yeah, beginning, yeah. right? Jonathan this is, King was This involved. is the show yeah. where yeah. two fans have already died in the audience. Yeah. And Jonathan, Jonathan King, King comes out waving issue one of Raw, telling yeah. the kids they must buy it. Yeah, but I, I remember it did send reverberations. Oh, it did. Oh, I, well, we see, this is when, yeah, this is when the, like, I, as I'd taken over as news editor, and Jeff, I know, was extremely concerned because Malcolm had said, "We've got all these huge stories. We're going to break them, and we're going to do this." Well, the truth of it, uh, uh, the truth of it was, first of all, Metal Hammer was monthly, so. They couldn't compete with Kerrang, which by then had gone weekly. And Raw was fortnightly. So, again, they couldn't really compete with uh, yeah. with Kerrang. And Malcolm, you know, bless his heart, he would, whenever I saw him at a gig or whatever, he'd be talking away 19 to the dozen. And he, he wouldn't give me stories, but he'd go, <laughs> he'd sort of go, have you heard about, you know, kingdom come or whatever no oh maybe you should give uh rod small a ring you know right, right, so and he'd right. give me the you know and he'd give it to me he just yeah. gave it to he, me he was he, a giver yeah, he, he, really was, was. he just didn't care i mean it just it wasn't that important to you know he didn't see it as a competition like we were seeing it as this completely competition and we've got to beat them malcolm did, he didn't give a shit you know i say he gave me plenty of stories like you know on, on the quiet but not in a not in a kind of no, he just backhanded he, way or anything. It was just his way, you know. There was yeah. what these days you'd say there was no filter. Yeah, you know, there was no filter. Yeah. But um, by the mid nineties, he and I uh, had teamed up to do a series of quickie fan books for Omnibus, and we had a, a joint bank account uh, through a, a, an, a, an accountant you may be familiar with. <laughs> and um, the account name was Mickey Dude Sickle. I remember that being that one, another one of his sort of pseudonym. Yeah. I think it was a Ross Halfin. Maybe it was. It, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, but anyway, the bank account was Mickey Dude Sickle. In those days, they'd pay you with a check, yeah. and the check would be made out to Mickey Dude Sickle. Yeah. And so we just split everything down the middle. And it was quite sweet for a while. That's why if you go on Amazon or somewhere now, you'll find books on Metallica, I think Stone Temple Pilots. Nirvana, anything they would pay money for by Mick Wall and Malcolm Dome or Malcolm Dome and Mick Wall, yeah. whichever. Um, but it all came to a terrible end. Uh, and I'm I going to own my side of it. But uh, two things happened. We did a Bon Jovi book, which Malcolm and I wrote in a weekend. <laughs> I mean, I mean, these high are quality. These are <laughs> a high quality item. <laughs> these are forty thousand word yeah, books, so mainly it. pictures. But Malcolm is the sort of person who could write forty thousand words in a week. He, he came to my flat. I was living alone in this tiny one bed flat, and he came on the Friday night and he left on Monday morning. And we took it in shifts. As soon as someone passed out, the other yeah. one would take over because he only had one computer. <laughs> and. Um, but also based on, he bought a floppy disk, yeah. which contained the book on Bon Jovi he'd written two years before. <laughs> and so that book comes out, for which I've never had any fucking royalties, thank you, fucking Omnibus, um, or for any of the books we did. Uh, I'm not saying they're thieves. Um, <laughs> and uh, But we got, a le again, letters. Someone wrote a letter, some girl wrote a letter to say... Uh, 
to Omnibus saying she'd bought the Bon Jovi book because she's such a huge a fan. Big fan. Uh, and Malcolm's name wasn't on the book because he'd done this previous book, right? So it's just by name, but, you know, his book, really. And um, she wrote to the publisher who passed it on to us saying, I am just a huge Bon Jovi fan. I've got everything they ever did. And uh, I, I bought the new book, very excited. And I, it's weird because I, I, it's really strange because I couldn't help notice there are certain passages which are pretty much identical to ones that appeared in a book by Malcolm Dome two years ago. <laughs> I can't, how did that how happen? How did that happen? I how could the, that have happened in the 48-hour, <laughs> 40,000-word blitz? <laughs> I remember talking to the editor, who shall definitely remain nameless, and um, I just went, I have, no, I have no idea. Give me the letter, let me handle it. So I, I, I sent this girl a care package of my Pearl Jam book and a couple of other things just to make her go away. Yeah, yeah. But then the killer came in 96. when, And don't forget, these books, they would give you £2,000 for a book, which right now, anybody listening is like, well, £2,000. No, trust me, that, that's between two people and s- split into thirds. You know, so you get a couple hundred quid every now and again. And... Um, <laughs> And uh, taped to the inside of an album. So by '96, I'm I'm still on my downward trajectory, and so is he, and so is all of us from that era. Because Kerrang is gone, that era is gone, and we're of no interest. Um, so we do a book on Kiss, and I was uh, back doing PR with Roland Hines, and um, it was really busy. I mean, it, it was genuinely really busy, and uh, I left it to Malcolm. I just left the whole thing to Malcolm, yeah. and because uh, this would happen sometimes, I forget Def- what I leave it to Pear Drop Man. Yeah, it'll be all right. Like I think the Stone Temple Pilots probably I did all of that because I'd had interviews. Yeah, with them yeah. And, stuff. Um, and this one, Kiss, you know, so he did it, and um, I remember he sent me a floppy disk. You know the floppy disks, because yeah. these days you'd email it, wouldn't you? But no, he sent me the disk, and he said, "Check it over. I, I think it might need a bit of work." And I, I just couldn't get to it, you know. So in the end, I said to him, I think it's all right. Just Malcolm. send it. Just send it. So he sent them the disc. And the next thing, the editor's on the phone. Fucking insanely <laughs> furious. I've been on the KISS website. <laughs> <laughs> and frankly, <laughs> this is just cut and paste straight from uh, the KISS website. Apple C, Apple V. <laughs> <laughs> The story of Kiss in brackets, yeah. Apple Sea. <laughs> and I went, oh, well, you know, I, I put up a spirited defence, but basically we were fired. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but oh. I tell you what, we wanted to, before Mickey Dude Sickle, I wanted to call the company Feel the Width. Now, you're too young to remember, but in the very late 60s, there was a sitcom called Never Mind the Quality, Feel the Width. And it was about these two tailors that worked together. One was Orthodox Jewish, right, and one was devout uh, Orthodox Jewish, and one was devout Irish Catholic. <laughs> so, because Malcolm so was like, Jewish yeah. and I was from an Irish Catholic background, I said we've got to call. The, and he remembered yeah. the show because he's a little bit older than me, even. Uh, I said we've got to call the company Fill the Width, and we were like, <laughs> 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 but we never did. Sadly, I wish we had. Oh dear. Uh, yeah. Now that reminded me that uh, when I was talking to Paul Elliott when he rang and told me Malcolm uh, 
died and uh, he was we were just telling various stories you know ridiculous stories about him and you talk about bon jovi remind me he said he saw malcolm at, it was like donnington or somewhere and you know he, he would malcolm would be sort of slightly oblivious of who was around him but he'd just be talking at <laughs> one person like he's talking about one person he's got a big you know, glass of something spirit that he's just swallowed down in one and uh Someone, someone, someone comes up next to me. He doesn't realise it's John Bon Jovi, and it's a Bon Jovi. They're backstage at a Bon Jovi. He doesn't realise it's John Bon Jovi, and Bon Jovi's got a bottle, and he just like pours a little bit of you know whatever it is, Jack Daniels or whatever, into Malcolm's glass as a kindness, you know. <laughs> and Malcolm just looks down at it and looks back up and just goes, "Fill it up," <laughs> <laughs> not realising it's John. <laughs> And John Bon Jovi did. He didn't even. He just he just poured it all right up to the top. Fill it up. I tell you who that reminds me. You sense. I know. I know exactly where he would have got that from. There were a lot of sayings that Malcolm had that lasted oh, throughout. Ended, yeah. One, one, okay. In, In order. order. Yeah. You're a nonce and you know it. That was another one. Every email he ever sent me yeah. would be would end with whatever it was and end with and you're a nonce and you know it. I go okay, cheers. Yeah, he got all of those from Ross Halfin. Yeah. Because in, he and Ross obviously travelled a lot in the 80s. And uh, Ross was similarly mental. And he would always be going, in order, <laughs> in order. But Ross sort of stopped doing that around 91, <laughs> 92. But Malcolm was still doing it up to the last yeah. time I ever spoke to him. Yeah, yeah. And go, you're all right, Malcolm. In, in order. order. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. But then, I mean, to move on, I mean, we said before we... We uh, when we started that we would talk a bit about his writing, yeah, which I think it's really because it was done at such speed. His feature writing, I'm talking about, not the news stories. I mean, his books were obviously done at such speed. His feet have resulted in some extraordinary features that we would talk about <laughs> endlessly, and the most famous being the Jane's Addiction one that was written backwards. Oh yeah, wasn't it? It, yeah. it began with the words, "This feature has been written backwards. Make of that what you, you will." will. <laughs> And it was in three sections, and it was like the third section was first. But I mean, you couldn't really tell. <laughs> <laughs> well, but I, you had to applaud the effort because yeah, it, 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 was, it really was an era on mm. Kerrang where people did try and sort of outdo yeah, well, each he was, other. I mean, Malcolm bit. was great pals with Sean Hudson, wasn't he? The, the, uh, yeah, the, the horror, horror writer. writer. And uh, and he was a big fan of you know, horror novels. And I remember one of the first things he ever got me to, because he used to run Culture as well, the, oh, the yeah. book section. Yeah. And the first things he ever got me to review was some sort of t horror novel by, uh, I can't even remember what it was, Michael Slade or someone they were called. But it turned out there were like three different people and they'd all written it under this pseudonym. He got me to review it. He was into all that sort of thing. So some of his features, if he was doing King Diamond or oh, something yeah, like yeah. that, would have a sort of horror-type bent as well. You know? Know, him and Sean were very similar, because I, mean, yeah. I, I used to know Sean a little bit, and uh, he was hyper, but he took medication for Both it. Both massive Maiden fans. Huge Maiden fans. And I think because Maiden were really fast and somewhat accelerated experience. Uh, but Sean, like his first book, he wrote it in like 10 days, yeah. his novel. And he would say to me, he goes, you know, these people going, oh, I, I, I want to write a book. I go, well, do it then, do it then. You know, most books out there are to shit, so yours will probably be fine. And Sean would tell me, hey, get up at 9 a.m. Or not get up, but at his desk at 9 a.m. every day. Bash, 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 bash,
I don't know if you ever read it back or just that was it. Yeah. And that was Malcolm. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, Sean did. He did slugs, didn't he? Yeah. Because James Herbert had done rats. So he did slugs. <laughs> he did slugs. We should do one called bats. Yeah, we should do something. <laughs> that's, oh no, something that's even slower than a slug. I mean, because let's face it, slugs. What's slower how's than a, a how's slug? How's a slug going to. Sloths. You know, how's a slug really going to kill you? Sloths. What, he snuck up on me <laughs> from the rose bushes. <laughs> Sloths. Yes. The sloth, story yeah. of the terrifying yeah. gang yeah. of sloths. <laughs> Walk uh, for your lives. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> but no, they were quite. Like, yeah, sure, the, yeah, Malcolm and Sean were quite similar, weren't they? He should have done some more fiction writing, shouldn't he? I don't know. I think. Or maybe sorry, no. Let me get that. Out. He should have done some journalism. It's a bit like saying he 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 should have been an A and R man. I think Malcolm was just kind of Malcolm, wasn't he? You know, yeah. he couldn't. Yeah. Hard to imagine him ever having lived in any other way and done anything other than what he did, really. I remember spending the night at his gaff once. Must be this sort of 90s period where we were working together. And um, we both of us, our personal lives were a disaster. Um, you know, I, I'd have a, a good period and then a really long bad period. He just sort of had one long bad period in terms of personal life. But I remember going round his house, and it was probably with a Steve McTaggart or somebody after a horrendous gig yeah. or journey, and we both just slept round there. And I remember saying to him um, in the morning, desperate, you know, because he wouldn't have eaten the day before or something. Malcolm, have you got anything to eat? No. Nope. <laughs> I said we well, must have a bit of toast. No, no, no. Come and spare. Come and spare. And I went in his kitchen thinking, no. God, there's got to be a fucking. But everyone's egg. got something. Everybody, uh, cornflakes, yeah. something. There'll yeah. be something. Yeah. Nothing. Literally nothing. <laughs> I said, "Have you got any fucking tea?" Oh, I don't know. Let me have a look. Boom, 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 boom. No, no. The fuck do you live, you lunatic? Yeah. You know. But uh, he just would never be there. I presume he was just out the whole time. He also loved all those. Uh, not karate, like kung fu movies and all that stuff. Yeah. He loved that as a genre. Yeah. And I say to him, how can you watch this drivel? Oh, no, it's superb, superb. Yeah, yeah, did, yeah all that stuff. I mean, uh, the, do you remember the uh, the famous uh, Wild Hearts trashing of his desk? Oh, that was in the Carnaby Street. Yeah, office. yeah. No, I, yeah. I, 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 it it Ma- rings a bell, Mal- but I don't Malcolm remember the very rarely, he used to write a lot, and he would... And, you know, I mean, he was a fan, there's no doubt about that. And he was an incredibly kind person. But every now and again, he would, he would, you know, he he would let rip with a rip. And presumably, I can't remember the circuit, he'd done that in some way to Ginger, you know, who wasn't... A volatile character. Yeah, Ginger wasn't having that. (laughs) And so they decided they'd launch it. There were two raids that I remember on that Carnaby Street office. The first one was the Wild Hearts, and Ginger did trash Malcolm's computer. He did like pick it up and trash it, and then um, the other one was Cradle of Filth, who attacked the front door and drew a pentagram on it, but then didn't come upstairs. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, Wild yeah. Hearts the real deal. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, Wild Hearts versus Cradle of Filth, no contest. Yeah. Was Malcolm there when the Wild Hearts turned up? I can't remember because I don't. I, he was I, I don't think I was, he was there. there. I don't. I don't. Th- I think. Weren't we upstairs in Raw? Wasn't it? That I've got era? a feeling we were on Raw, and Malcolm was back. You know, was once again back on Koran because he sort of he, he's a bit like, uh, you know, I don't know whoever 
Bruce Dickinson in and out of Iron Maiden. You know, Malcolm was all there. He was either working or not working for Kerrang. Sorry, just to point out, because I'm very aware of Coco snoring here in the background, just to let people know in case you can hear that. Coco the metal pug is sat at my feet snoring. Yeah. As long as it doesn't transition into farting, which yeah, is usually the next not. step. Yeah. That's, yeah. yeah. Okay, let's talk about Malcolm's broadcasting career. I know very little about that. He used to email me from that Total Rock address. Right. And I didn't actually realise until the other day when I, when I was reading the tributes to him what Total Rock was. Well, it's, so it started transpires out, it's a radio station and he was on it. It started out as rock radio. Right. Again, this is in the 90s. And Crusher had a show. Malcolm had a show. It was Tony Wilson who'd been the Friday Rock Show producer. producer yeah. And as with all BBC employees, there just came a moment where they just sort of put you out to grass after 30 years or something. And um, Tommy had gone, Claire Sturgis had taken over, and then finally it all just, I think post-grunge, it just went away. And I remember I used to be a, I used to be like a, a guest on Crusher's show every week. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there were, it just dwindled. I remember one, one night, it was a Friday night, and we weren't getting any calls, no emails, nothing. And I remember Crusher lost it at one point and just went, right. He goes, if there's any fucking cunt out there fucking <laughs> listening to this right now, take your finger out of your fucking ass, dial this fucking number and let us know you give a fucking shit, you cunt. Silence. Yeah, yeah. No one Followed by the sound of plug being pulled out of the <laughs> So Malcolm inevitably did like you know five shows yeah, a well, day. Yeah, can you imagine you know. it's like, that you, like you need a couple of DJs for the evening, and then just put Malcolm <laughs> on air for the rest of the day. Yeah. Well, by the time of the early two thousands, uh, when Classic Rock magazine has come along, um, they had evolved into Total Rock, and they used to work out of this pub in Fulham, a room above a pub, and uh, Malcolm as with every job you ever had, he was just there 24-7. So he inevitably did a million shows. And then years go by, and I, I, I used to do one on a Saturday afternoon. I used to get £20 a show. And I lived in Oxfordshire, so it, was a, <laughs> it just wasn't really happening after a while. But um, the years go by, still there. They moved to uh, uh, Old Compton Street, or Denmark Street, and... Um, and it's all still happening. There seems to be lots going on. But at that point, he developed... It was after Tommy Vance died. And he developed this voice. <laughs> Did he? Yeah, I couldn't <laughs> believe it. Yeah. Yeah, total you rock. Mean, you mean he didn't sit there going... Brub, brub, and no. Like, oh, no, he'd done that. But now, he, uh, now Maiden have a new album oh. out. And I'd say to him, why are you doing that voice? That's fantastic. <laughs> Okay, why are you I doing now that wish voice? I heard it. That would have been it, so funny. You'd probably find it online somewhere. Yeah. So someone clearly, I think, had had a word with him saying, don't do that. <laughs> Try and be a bit more like Tommy or something. Because Tommy, yeah. I think, had ceded some money to Total Rock. And, uh, and yeah, it just it was this terrible voice. I mean, I think the great thing about Malcolm was he was available 24-7. Yeah. But the quality control wasn't always there. He was a bit like um, Michael Caine, you know, who just does yeah, any yeah. fucking movie that comes along, yeah. no matter how bullshit. Yeah, yeah. But, that, but in the like end, that. that kind of, I mean, I think, and that, some that was really nice, it's always that thing where you go, you know, someone dies and you think, I wish they could have seen 
how much everyone thought of them and how yeah. well everyone thought of them. Particularly in Malcolm's case, who I, I'm guessing is one of those people who probably didn't realise how how well he was thought of by everyone who'd known him. Um, uh, so I've lost my thread. What were you saying? Well, just saying. Um, we you wish you'd been around to see yeah, how. But you said something before that that I was going to comment on. Ooh. Oh, right, Michael Caine. That's oh, it. Yeah. yeah, that was that was it. Sorry. Um, was that in the end? he just became Michael Caine through those good and bad movies. And I think Malcolm became Malcolm yeah. stroke Doc Doom stroke Mad Mal through just being him and doing all those things constantly. As you say, it didn't really matter that there was the odd clunker in there because it was about the whole of the life and the whole of the journey. And I think that's what was really important, you know? Yeah. And when I, you were the one that broke the news to me about him passing this on Monday morning. Um, I was in the shower, and uh, I could hear I could hear the phone going. And yeah, you, know, you sort of look. Oh, what are you going to no, do? I'll him. get back to you in a minute. It's him. Just turn no, it off. no, it wasn't that Just at all. No, no, it wasn't that at all. But I, I was down in Brighton visiting my daughter at uni, so I'm staying in a fucking travel lodge, <laughs> you know, something glamorous. And it's just disgusting. So I'm hurrying to get out the door, blah, blah, blah. Finally, I'm sitting down having some breakfast in a cafe, and I went, oh, hang on, John. And I thought, why would John ring? Because that Cause would be... Let's, listeners, let's, let's dispel, <laughs> the, dispel the idea that we're constantly on the phone to one another. <laughs> well, no, it's be an email or a yeah, text, yeah. Or, unless it's something important. Yeah. And I thought, oh, so I just said, I sent you, I said, you, you know, something, you okay? And you went, Malcolm Dome's dead. And uh, I just, wow, I couldn't believe it. Yeah. I couldn't believe it. But we still don't know how he died, do we? No, we don't. I, you know, I really don't know uh, about that. and wouldn't want to speculate, really. It's just, no. you know, very, very sorry to have heard it. Because I think, I think, you know, talking about that, that groundswell of feeling that there was on social media and so on, it's, it's, a, it's about lost youth in a lot of ways, isn't it? Yeah. You know, it's like we all remember those times now with incredible fondness. And Malcolm, I, th- I think... I, I was thinking he is probably the only person who never fell out with anyone in that circle. You know, I mean, we all had our moments with, with one another. Um, but I think Malcolm, I don't remember ever falling out with him or people or generally, really, even when he, you know, left to go and work on Metal <laughs> At his peak, he was quite annoying sometimes. <laughs> yeah, he was annoyed, but you didn't, you didn't sort of hate him for it. You know, oh no, no, no more than you can no. hate the sun it's or just, the moon. No, you know, it's just, you just that you're like you. You know, you too have been awake for eighteen hours, like <laughs> Malcolm, but you're feeling the pace yeah. at that. I mean, it's like Donington. You know, Donington would just be one long bacchanal, and by about the sort of second or third night, Malcolm is still at the bar. <laughs> Still in the clothes he arrived in, you know, mud splattered up his jeans where he's been bits of yeah, sick over his vodka shirt. and pineapple in hand, still talking. Yes, yeah, yeah. He and you just, and I it, just want to go home. And I think he's probably the only person in the world, genuinely, who both Slash and Axel had enormous <laughs> like affection at the same for. time. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. I once came upon a scene talking of Donington where at the bar there was. Sitting at the bar was in this order: Axel, Malcolm, Slash, yeah. and uh, and afterwards I said to Malcolm, "What were you talking about?" He said, "I, I told them. I told them. I said, you know, the, the thing with you pointing at Axel is you really wish you were Slash." And then he goes, "And the thing about you 
He says to Slash, you really wish you were Axel. And I think that's the problem. That's very good. That, that's yeah. <laughs> that's the sort of thing he could have written a feature about. Yeah. But brilliant. Yeah. yeah. And I remember thinking, what absolute yeah. bollocks that it is. It is bollocks. But, you but, know, you but, can imagine him, yeah. but only he would have thought of that yeah, or yeah. said it. And then written a feature that went... Uh, the part of Slash <laughs> in this feature is played by Axel Rose. <laughs> well, he, I said, and what did they say to that? And I, from what I gathered was Slash thought that was rubbish. But Axel thought there was something yeah, in Axel, it. Yeah. <laughs> of course he did. Because if Axel, Slash disagreed, Axel agreed. Of course he did. <laughs> I think Axel thought there was a very acute yeah. kind of reading yeah. of the situation. But, but what there. they don't realise is, you know, bloody... Pear drop man has been awake for six days by this point, and he's just saying the first thing that came into his head. Yeah, ah, yeah. oh, bless uh, him. He will. He that they, we always say this about people that died, saying how missed they will be. Mm. But I think, I, especially I for all these mates, and I know you know, obviously, you know, not really circles that I move in, but um, you know, Dave Ling mm. and and uh, and all of his, yeah, Jerry Ewing and all of those guys who were really close to Malcolm and still are, you know, I'm sure yeah. they'll be devastated. Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, God bless Malcolm. Yep, Malcolm, uh, you will live on. There's no doubt about that, mate. Definitely. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. How do I stop this, Fern?